We travelers walking to the sun can't see ahead, but looking back, the very light that blinded us shows us the way we came, along which blessings now appear, risen as if from sightlessness to sight, and we, by blessing brightly lit, keep going toward that blessed light that yet to us is dark. Wendell Berry, Sabbaths, 1999, Volume 6. You know what's a very human experience? One that could fit nicely in the theme of becoming human? The unavoidable reality of time and change. Now, yes, you could argue that change isn't real. Philosophers have been doing it for quite a while. I stated my case back in episode three. So I'm going to go with the presumption that change is inevitable. In fact, change is a natural extension of being alive in existence as a whole. The reality of time, that one's a little more agreeable. But the world is going to move. It's impossible to be static. What isn't so obvious is how the world is going to move. So today, I want to explore a very big, probably way too generalized topic. How should we approach progress? What should determine how we make decisions according to time and change? What should be our guide in in this ubiquitous foray of moving toward that light that yet to us is dark, which deals with the oft-used categories of conservative and liberal or progressive. Now, before we get to today's content, if you're listening right now, which I guess you are, I could use your help. If you'd be willing to uh, hit pause or do this while I continue rambling, uh, doing something like writing a review or rating the show or, or hitting the subscribe or follow button or whatever you have on what you're listening to, these are genuinely helpful things. Uh, it's all about how algorithms work. Uh, if you want to take a further step, sharing the show or, or just an episode you happen to find useful on social media, again, it's really helpful. Uh, or, I, I mean, my preference, if you know folks who are curious, dedicated sojourners in the journey of life, and you think they might like this, honestly, the best way they're going to find out about the show is you. Uh, so if you're willing to do that, that would be wondrously appreciated. And hey, you want to go above and beyond? There are some folks who actually think this is worth a small token of their financial resources. That does actually help me keep producing all of this. Uh, And of course, I am grateful for that as well. You can do that at coffee. That's ko-fi.com slash becoming human. But hey, let's talk about tradition and progress. Conservatives and liberals. Let's learn, let's grow, and let's become more human. What I wanted to do today is just to look at the the two main ways we can approach this circumstance of existence that deals with time and change. So the world is moving, and we, therefore, have to decide how to move with it. And this one is interesting for two reasons. First, a lot of the topics I like to cover deal with things that are so enmeshed in our lives, but that we don't always take the time to think about. Memory, grief, conflict, logic. I really like pulling back the curtains of what surrounds us to actually consider them instead of, you know, kind of haphazardly crawling through life. This topic 
isn't one of those. In fact, some people are so captivated by one disposition or the other that they actually define their identity by it. So we're going to explore something that does get talked about a lot. Second, the whole aspect of defining someone's identity means that this topic is actually a bit of a cultural and especially a political institution. Now, I think it's really important to note up front, no one is fully one or the other. When we're talking about conservative or liberal tradition or progress, this is more of a spectrum than a dichotomy. And, and we've got hot topics like identity politics or straight ticket voting. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who go all in on one direction or the other, at least politically. But for most people, it's always somewhere in between. And when you add in sociology and culture and economics and, and other aspects of life, I doubt anyone is actually all in on one category. Here's the deal. I don't want to get into the the political component of this, not quite at least. I also think that this is more of a social dynamic than just people straight ticket voting and aligning with identity politics. This goes back to the issue of not thinking holistically. So we have media and personality brands that give us the rundown on all the issues that fit one camp and all the issues that fit the other. And pretty soon you end up with a whole lot of people who look almost the exact same. And my opinion is that we like this because it means we don't have to think deeply about a lot of things. But within the larger issue of tradition and progress, even though a lot of folks do tend to sit on one side or the other, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, I think it's worth asking, what is going on here? Why does this happen? And how does this work? And though this is a topic that we think and talk about a lot, I'm hoping I can offer some ideas for how we can see it with even more depth and understanding. So let's start with time. Time, as it goes, constantly changes. I don't think there's a whole lot of disagreement about that. Uh, and I don't just mean the time of day that appears on clocks. You know, those are just instruments to measure the continual passing of time. And there are uh, three conceptions of time usually, right? We usually call them tenses. Uh, but as you'll remember when we talked about memory, because you did encode that information, right? Not everyone agrees that past and future actually exist. Only our memory and anticipation of those tenses exist. Anyways, if we were to break this down, the past is what was. And, and here's what's tricky about the past. The past is always effervescently vanishing. Yet, the past is the only experience that is known. It's the only conception of time that you can actually hold on to, except you can't hold on to it because it's gone. Then you have the future. And with the future, you have what will or, or what can be. But it's also an adventure into the unknown. Because the future, it's not gone. And this is why the future bears a certain hope. But they're empty promises. We always think that the future can be better than the past. Well, depending on how you interact with things now, in light of the past, it could actually be worse. And all of this to say, the present is constantly in process of becoming the future based on the past. You have what is gone, but it's known. And that is taking you into what is unknown, but still has possibility. That's what the opening poem was all about. 
No, we are walking to a light, but the light is blinding. That's the unknown future. It is this image of the sun obstructing our view of the path before us. So you can only look backward to see the effects of the sun to help figure out how to take the next right step. We live within this constant movement of time, which just with time, this implies that change is ongoing because one form of experience is constantly gone and another form of experience is constantly showing up. So let's think about this in terms of tradition and progress. When people are talking about you know, tradition versus progress, they are really just saying, where do you fall on the spectrum of interacting with the past versus the future? Do you prefer the known over the unknown? Do you prefer the still possible over the forever gone? And this is the predicament in our culture of you know, those rigid dichotomies. It's either tradition or progress. And whether we're talking about politics or a social perspective, a cultural perspective, or fiscal or economic or institutional or even relational perspectives, there is the conservative bend or the liberal, conventional or reform. It's, it's the past and the old versus the future and the new. And what we're doing is we're prioritizing known data or we're prioritizing possibility. And I want to step back here because there's a, a, a whole socio-political history that we could easily slide into. And we could explore and explain how you know left and right became a thing. Party systems, revolutions, governmental philosophy. We could even get into the issues pervading the epitomal voting ticket or a social media page. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Kind, kind of. I, I mean, that is relatively involved here, but I'm hoping to make the case that this is a general phenomenological perspective. And it deals with how you approach political, ethical, and cultural spaces, but it also deals with how you approach anything. There's the whole take on how you know dead men shouldn't determine modern laws. And there's also the side saying that the federalist reading of laws is the only right one. But then there's also how you shape your family dynamics or how you make your lifestyle choices. From academics to trivial things like sports, there's tradition and there's progress, and it involves every dynamic of life. I want us to see this question in light of all the ways it impacts the world we live in, not just the socio-political history. I also want us to see, in the end, that whatever you hold on to, there's always a problem and there's always a benefit. So, Let's start with the conservative position. Here, tradition is seen as being useful. What has been in the past is beneficial to making decisions in the present. In fact, this perspective says utilizing the past is, is to be held in such esteem that it is mandatory and therefore we must maintain tradition. Tradition is the standard for all present decisions, actions, methodologies, etc. Now, if we define tradition simply as the way we've always done things, this makes tradition seem a bit elitist, even stubborn. And no doubt that can definitely be a part of it. However, this is why I emphasize the role of time. Tradition is simply the use of the past to implicate the present. I'd like to make the case here that every single person to some extent is a traditionalist. 
human beings tend to have a ritualistic nature. We function by familiarity, which is a conservative approach to life. Again, in terms of time, not necessarily modern political connotations. Having certain rhythms, actions, behaviors, etc. What we are doing in that is maximizing efficiency. You sleep in the same bed. You maintain certain relationships. You brush your teeth the same way. You eat certain foods at a certain time of day. This isn't just doing things the way we have always done them. This is having ritual and systems that make survival easier. But not only do we tend to maximize efficiency by using past experience to help us in the present, it's kind of our default. A person can't help to replicate some patterns of living simply because the only information you have to make decisions with is the information that you have gleaned through your limited experience. No matter how much someone would want to, you know, obliterate any notion of a tradition, they want to blow up any semblance of repetition or what has been, you have to utilize the past even to do that. And you are very likely repeating some things that have become so ingrained that we don't even consider them in the conversation. I say this just in case we hear tradition and immediately balk. Now, we should be aware of this component. Now, more specifically, if I weren't to be so petty about this, there are those who look at more specific processes and say, yes, the past should be used, not just biologically or phenomenologically. Decisions being made should use tradition. So is there any validity to this? And the key to consider here is that the past is what is known. And what is known is always from the past. And that's all you have as empirical data. We have access to this competent data with known qualifiers, and that is what we have to work with, so we should work with it. It's, it's worth noting that even trying to upend a tradition implies that you are utilizing that information too, which all makes the whole conservative position a bit unavoidable. I hope I'm clear that we are all traditionalists to some degree. So the benefit here is that the traditional approach is at least honest about the reality of existence and the epistemological nature of human beings. The past is reliable, at, at least in terms of data. What then, what's the negative? Well, think back to our description, time and change. Tradition has a very healthy relationship to time, or at least an honest relationship to time. But it can have very easily an unhealthy relationship to the change that is naturally occurring within time. This is why some of the philosophers who were most against the uh, notion of change being real happen to have conservative tendencies. The problem is when you use the known data of the past in order to replicate that data in a situation that no longer exists because the time is now different. Essentially, tradition can become very static. And I need to say, this too is natural. In a world where we are not constantly faced with the fear of survival, it's easy for us to snide at this. Oh, you're stuck in the past. You're holding so tightly to what you know. Yeah, because that was always the best way to ensure you didn't die. Back in the first series of the podcast where we talked about change, we brought up the three main reasons we resist change. 
all of which deals with utilizing familiarity and consistency to ensure survival. It, it triggers the fight or flight response biologically ingrained in our brains. This doesn't mean we should always adhere to it because change is going to happen regardless and it can even be beneficial. But we should acknowledge there is more going on here than we often think about. But what happens if the past gets elevated to reverent adherence? The real problem is that our use of the past can become a stagnant blockade to the inevitable movement of time. The past happened in a certain landscape that no longer exists. And it might have worked then. It also might not have worked. But those circumstances that made it work aren't the same. Replication can be counterproductive to our own goal. So whether it's working with previous precedents without transcribing or transposing them to the new context or simply the romantic nostalgia of what was because it's known, adhering to tradition might be honest about the data of what was, but it usually fails to properly engage with what is. All right, now let's look at the progress side. And we should already recognize something similar. Just as the traditional disposition is unavoidable, we're already doing it whether we're aware of it or not, the aspect of progress is also already happening. It's inevitable because change is inevitable. Time is different. So even the most ardent conservative has enacted new processes even in the midst of the mundane elements of life. You have to change to how your body is changing, how your relationships change as you learn more and develop more experience with people. Technology and social structures, it's all constantly changing and we're constantly adapting. Even someone who stands firm in the face of a new technology or a new social movement, somewhere in the scope of their life, they've embraced something being different than how it was. I'm just saying, the dichotomy between tradition and progress, it's actually a spectrum. No one is completely on one side of this or the other. So, what are the healthy components of progress? Well, you, you could probably guess it's honest about change. It's prepared to adjust. It acknowledges that context requires adaptation. We're going to come up with a metaphor here. It's like, uh, like chopping down a tree. For firewood, of course, don't come at me, Lorax. If you begin using your axe one way, or chainsaw, you gas guzzler, you, you could say, well, this angle and this strike is what works the best. And then proceed to try and chop down the tree, utilizing the same technique. You could even begin proclaiming, this is the only way to use an axe. The problem is that as you use your method, your very method is changing the nature of the tree. And eventually, that technique won't work as well with the new circumstances. In fact, as you go through the process, you need to know when a new technique is needed based on the new composition of the tree. Now, the metaphor has some loopholes, but I think it captures the nuances of tradition and progress well. The initial technique is not bad, and new and random techniques for the sake of difference aren't jumped at either. It uses the past to know what is best, but it is also aware of the ongoing change, especially change resulting from past decisions 
and it adapts accordingly. If you treat your child the same way when they are 18 as you did when they were an infant, it is holding on to the past and replicating what is known, but it isn't honest about the present and therefore the impending future. I mean, just think about this. You did something one way and it was good and it worked, but doing it in that way also changed the person to who they're becoming now. And so if you interact with the same process as you used before, it's actually going to cause a problem to your original intentions, which were good. And if you do to try to take this very rigid approach, well, they're going to stop talking to you and probably going to need some therapy. What progress does well is that it doesn't hold on to what is no longer there. However, I think progress gets the least public criticism. We've inherited this three to 400 year old glamorization of progress where anyone who doesn't beckon brightly to the future is called a Luddite or something. So while progress can properly avoid holding on to the past, its biggest downfall is when it doesn't hold anything. The criticism of progress is an adamant allegiance to what isn't, which makes something possible, but it's also only working with unknown data. Those completely bent on the progressive side might be holding on to what isn't in equal adherence to the conservative relationship to what was. And when we assume and even require that, you know, the past is not a good or useful indicator for where we are going, we are, on one hand, not being honest that we are already using the past to even make that decision. And secondly, we're removing valuable information that could help what is an honest engagement with a changing reality. When anything new is always better, you end up with a lot of unnecessary misses. And where this really becomes a problem is when it ebbs into glorifying anything that isn't yet, as if there is this ideal that only exists in the future, and of course, it will look nothing like what has been. So whatever isn't must be best because, you know, as the cliche goes, the grass is always greener. And this is called reactive romanticism, and, and we'll get to this in a future episode. But if we automatically reject something because it is known, where tradition is an obstacle to be overcome, you know, it, it will only hold us back. We are pulling out the rug under our proverbial feet, at least of being limited empirical beings. All data with no imagination is not great, but neither is all imagination with no data. I'm guessing you already knew this, or you could have guessed it. Don't hold tightly, but also don't throw it all away. There should always be open hands that use what we have, but allows it to adapt. Duh. But I don't know that we are actually honest about this. Because think about how this plays out. And I, and I think a lot of this deals with the social issue of people being more concerned about being right, encountering those that they want to make adversaries when it, when it comes to being conservative or progressive, in the social and political sphere especially. But take the biggest debates. You know, wh what is the argument? Usually, one person or camp alluding to a proper relationship to time, and the other alluding to a proper relationship to change. We all know that the best approach is going to involve both, but why don't we just say that? 
now I've already handled the the process of argumentation, and technically, uh, this would be a procedural value argument with one using deontology and the other using consequentialism or teleology. And until those terms are set, there won't be any agreement either. But you see this in ethical debates all the time. Dead men shouldn't determine today's laws because they didn't have our context. And then on the other side, you have, well, past standards providing a certain amount of data, that shouldn't just be thrown out. Age precedents are going to be better than contemporary thoughts. Or you see this with social changes. Some wish to honor the rich depth of history. Others want to reject anything that is old because it is obstructing valuable adventures to the future. Or you see this with technology. You see it with conversations happening right now on the Constitution in the United States. You see this with religious circles, especially you know ones with the sacred text. And I'm just saying, maybe the positions aren't that clear, and maybe we are arguing about different angles on what should be the same thing. One's emphasizing time, one's emphasizing change. One's emphasizing the known data, one's emphasizing the unknown possibility. If there was a curtain to pull back here, it's simply to go, hey, actually, both of these things are useful, and we just have to find a way to move forward with both of them in the healthiest way possible. Now, I want to bring this up because in ethics, this is described usually as deontology versus consequentialism or moral absolutism versus moral relativism. And there's tons of categories and subsets of these, but the primary process is that what is established is a better indicator for making present decisions, again, because it's known, or what is known is not accounting for what is different. Now, deontology gets a lot of hate. Uh, for example, you know, groups that say, well, the Bible says that, they just get lambasted, partly because they are assuming a religious quality for people who have not agreed to that ideology, but partly because they are assuming that the Bible is a certain ethic that ought to be generally and absolutely adhered to indefinitely. It's using the past and the known data to make a rule that we have to uh, oblige to. That's deontology. And here's the only criticism I want to bring up. What happens if you don't have something like that? What happens if you don't have anything from the past to generally guide present decisions? Well, with no standard, you have to create one. And as the emphasis goes, this is what Hitler did. And this is why deontology really started to get attention in the years surrounding World War II in the West. I'm not saying that we should all hold dearly to tradition because anything progressive will lead to Hitler. I'm just saying we should consider that possibility of what can happen when we remove all precedents. But that's the general argument. What is established can't account for changes in context and necessary adaptation to inevitable newness. So you have deontology versus consequentialism. You have this absolutism versus relativism. And they're both using their perspectives on time and change to say what is the best way to move forward instead of saying how do we combine these and use them both at the same time. But without paying attention to the nuances of this conversation, we're left with some people claiming that, you know, dead men shouldn't have anything to say, which that whole conversation is, is still valuable to have. 
if we're able to hold the past but hold it loosely or on the other side you know the past is inchoate and and others are saying that without any standard you're walking with no ground under your feet there's just all these perspectives here so if we want to determine what should happen and this could be in terms of truth or ethics or lifestyle or relationships or technology or sociology ad infinitum Absolute adherence to either tradition or progress is probably not going to work out great. As with all things balance, we are holding a bunch of different factors, all of which should realistically play a role. Even more, usually the actual guide for our lives is usually just familiarity or desire. And we're going to reach for any confirmation bias to provide the messaging that affirms what we're already looking for. We want to be comfortable with who we are. And the conservative and progressive camps do a great job of confirming what we already are. So we should probably be aware of what's going on here. One perspective can't trust the past. The other can't trust the present. And neither leads to a good future. One works with what is known in the reality of time. One emphasizes the necessity of adaptation and the reality of change, and neither on their own have a healthy relationship to the reality of being human within time and change. One focuses on the humility of human limitation, one yearns for the hope of human possibility, and we're often left adhering to something so tightly that we actually miss out on both. If we truly want the best outcome here, we have to start with acknowledging that neither option is capable of capturing all of that on its own. And so we're going to need to know how to hold on to both, which is what we're going to get into next time. Thanks for listening.